Hi, welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts and growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello. I'm your host a growth evangelist, as well as being a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, some five years ago. My guest today is a returning guest, our most popular guest, Helen Killing Neal. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Helen is a licensed mental health counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a nationally certified counselor. She's also on the board here at Growth Through Grief to help us guide our practice on all things concerning the mind. And she also has personal experience with grief and loss as a widow herself, her husband passing away when her children were only four and six years old. And we're here to talk about identity and how that changes the role that that plays through the grieving process. And an episode entitled, Who Am I Now?, um, you know, as widowers, uh, and you as a widow, Helen, you know, we face an extreme identity crisis. Um, I was a husband who was part of a quote unquote power couple. Uh, my wife was not only my wife, mother to my two daughters, but also she was a business partner. Um, and I know that a lot of widowers face this as well. What impact can losing your partner have on your identity overall? Mm -hmm. I think the most challenging piece with uh, a fractured identity, this is a fracture of identity. With grief, it's so multifaceted. So it's not like changing a job and the identity of this job is now different. And now I will assume the identity in this role. It's the identity socially spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, all of it is just abruptly shifted. And, and there's no ability to transition into that, no matter how long the person's been unwell, no matter what you've been through, there is no ability to really assimilate a new identity until it's over and, and the loss is there. So going from, it's exactly what you said, Tom, it's going from being a husband, a spouse, to now being single. And we inherently see being single is actually sometimes marginalized culturally here, socially. The coupleship is the goal set up by this culture. I don't think that is how it should be. I think that's a social construct, right? But you are successful if you are in a coupleship. We see that in church. We see that in a lot of different religious practices. Coupleship is the ascribed goal. And so now you've lost what was the accomplishment, the social accomplishment, the cultural accomplishment in U.S. culture. And then there's that piece with being a dad. You've gone from being a dad to being a single dad, a single yeah. parent, a single father. It's a whole new different piece. And then I, I think about how it's not, I think one of the biggest effects with loss and grief is not the fracture of the identity, but in a way it's having to assume a different identity when you didn't want to, it's been forced onto someone. So you're assuming this new identity and that can even extend to things like if you've lost 
your spouse who was the caregiver and the nurturer of the children, then you're being asked to assume a role, an identity of carer and nurturer of children that isn't a normal or inherent necessarily identity that you've had before. You're now assuming the identity of, of cook, maybe, you, food nurturer, of creator of meals that are healthy and appropriate, but that's not an identity that you've had or internalized. So you're not only losing an identity, you're forced to develop these new identities. One of the things, Helen, that I experienced through the process of the disease and then the passing of my wife was my identity actually got crushed in a way. Um, mm -hmm. As the man, as the fixer, as yeah. many of us widowers kind of assume, um, I couldn't fix it. And yeah. so that was the first big blow was almost through the passing process, not even after the loss and some of the things that you said, my mm -hmm. ego in a lot of ways was really affected and crushed. My identity was crushed in that. This confident business person all mm -hmm. of a sudden faced the biggest battle and challenge and I couldn't solve the problem. Talk yeah. about that. And I know this affects a lot of people that go to counseling with you as well as widowers. Yeah, it's that powerlessness piece hmm. of not having any control over the situation. For men in particular are, are taught to be problem solvers, wired that way to be mm -hmm. problem solvers. I see this, let me look around it, let me figure out how I'm gonna manage it, how I'm gonna change it, how I'm gonna solve it. Okay, I have solved it, now I will move on. And, and that's like this wonderful male trait that is so needed in our world and yet here you are presented with a problem that is insolvable, mm -hmm. unsolvable, yeah, unsolvable. Um, <laughs> and the self-esteem hit around that or sort of the shame that can happen of this is my role, this is my defined role, this is my gender role in this, and I could not accomplish that is really difficult. And, and it can lead to depression for a lot of people, guilt, depression, remorse, shame, feelings of inadequacy. It's a very difficult thing. I particularly thought about you in this question because you had mentioned to me before mm -hmm. how painful it was to not be able to help and and that position of powerlessness and it just is a really deep and painful feeling and there's no way around that other than through the feeling yeah and helen admitting to the audience here um part of my challenge with that too was some past hurts where through the relationship i had with my father and i know that there are many men out there who are nodding their head out to this too yeah um there were feelings of less than uh, yeah. You know, or through school interactions or sports interactions or other things like that, where now you're experiencing this ego blow to, um, you know, this helplessness now that you weren't able to solve the problem with your wife. And, and then that's bringing up all of these other past hurts. Yes. Talk about that a little bit and some of the yeah. work that might have to be done there. Yeah. So those pieces of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes, not being able to meet the criteria that was maybe set up, um, not being deemed good enough within the family unit, the yeah. unit growing up. So what we experience as children and how we grow up, our development, our emotional development, 
we see that play out later in grief. And so that would be that layered piece that came up for you. And I know you went and did some counseling mm -hmm. and really got some help around that, which is fantastic. And that really is the key. First off, to recognize that this may not be only about this loss that's happened here. It may be about all of this other stuff that you've gone through in that child development, all of that low self-esteem that may have been wired, that never being able to meet dad's um, good enough piece or mom's good enough piece or siblings good enough piece, grandparents, whatever that might be. It, it does tend to come up and play out after some kind of loss like this. So that's a really wise thing, Tom, to bring that into the conversation because so often it's this mono focus on just the loss and it's not that. The loss is a trigger for all this stuff that's underneath. Completely agree. And without the professional counseling to highlight that, I could work at the grief and the direct feelings of inadequacy through that yes. loss and reconcile that. But then I was still all these other feelings that I wasn't even in touch with would bubble up from the trigger. And until I started working on those, Helen, it really wasn't a problem that I could alone solve. So very, very good to suggest the professional help because I know until I had some tools, first of all, the awareness that it wasn't just this loss right. of my life, that there were these other hurts that were adding up in a compound way. Um, that and then tools on how to address that and deal with that were really important yes. to gather as well. As you were talking through the new roles that we're assuming, you know, we are, we had our, we still have many of the old roles through yes. this and the old identity, and now these are all added on top. And I know for you, it was the same way. Yes. Um, obviously different roles. For me, all of a sudden I found that, okay, I, I still had to travel for business. Yep. But now I've got to prepare the food for my daughters if I was going out of town for a few days. Um, I had to go to school events and fundraisers. Yep. Uh, there are still those, the dinners that I was invited to. Um, you know, in a lot of those areas, uh, particularly with the school events, the fundraisers, the couple dinners, I really felt out of place without yeah. my, my partner there, without my Judy there. Uh, how do you deal with social social situations like that that you tended prior with your partner? Yeah. You know, I, this is the one area where I feel like it just sucks. It just <laughs> sucks after you lose your spouse because it there's nothing that makes you feel more resoundingly lonely than going to something that you used to go to with your partner mm -hmm. and having to do it by yourself and, and having to attend the PTA stuff or the whatever school function stuff, which is inherently a partnership kind of event. So it's really difficult. I think one of the things to really lean into is remembering that you don't have to set yourself up. So you don't have to go to every event. You can have discretion about what you're going to choose because it can just make you feel so much worse. So if you think it's something that really is intolerable and is going to make you feel even worse and it's not going to affect your kids and it's not going to affect the outcome of anything, give yourself some grace to exit and not do it. You don't have to show up for everything the way that your partner might have showed up for everything. It's okay to let some things slide. 
And then when you're getting together with maybe couples, maybe you're, you're the only solo person now in this, this four other couples, right? And you're a regular couple thing. I think it's important to talk about you, your spouse. It's important to say things like, you know what? Judy would have really loved this dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Judy really loved that piece of artwork. It's important to say, this is really difficult for me to be here without her. And I, I'm just going to say that out loud because I love you guys and I want to keep coming, but, but it, it's hard. It's hard right now to be without her, but I'm glad you keep inviting me and I want to keep coming and I want to be able to talk about her. Yeah. I, when it came to the school events, uh, particularly my youngest daughter, I wasn't that involved because I felt so awkward. And it really was yeah. Judy's place to do that in our relationship, which yeah. for a lot of men it is, you know, we're out slaying the dragons in the business world. She was home, not only doing the school events, but creating a lot of the content for it, a lot of the yeah. artwork and things like that. I mean, uh, just amazing when it came to the school and fundraisers and doing extra mm-hmm. work for those. Um, you can feel guilty. So you yeah. feel uncomfortable when you go, but then you can feel very guilty, particularly like... For example, the youngest daughter, I felt like she missed out by me maybe not being as involved and not participating and not going to mm-hmm. anything. Talk about that a little bit and ways to maybe combat uh, the guilt identity that some of us take on. Yes. Yeah. We can't make up for the loss of a parent. No matter how hard or how much or how much you would push through being uncomfortable. You cannot replace that parent. It's just not possible. It's not who we are. They were them. We are us. Your skill set is your skill set. Their skill set was their skill set. So I think it's about, again, leaning into knowing that you did the absolute best you could at that time. And that's all you could do. And not doing inside one's own head that piece we talked about dad and the expectations that could never be met that were unrealistic we internalize that and play that narrative out inside one's head so (laughs) feeling guilty or feeling not good enough or feeling like your daughter missed out because of you that's all mapped onto that same self-esteem piece of never being good enough for dad or mom and feeling inadequate in that (laughs) way (laughs) See, Helen, even though I've gone to counseling, I still have plenty of work to do. (laughs) Don't we all? Yes, absolutely. So identity. We used Mm -hmm. to be a couple. Uh, We used to be a husband. Uh, We used to be a partner parent. Now, sole parent. Now, Mm -hmm. alone. And that feeling of loneliness can really take over. Um, I see that a lot of widowers can get really stuck of thinking that they have to be alone. They mm-hmm. almost take it on as an identity that I'm a widower and I now need to be alone and I need to almost suffer because mm-hmm. of the loss of my wife. She can't be here. So I need to suffer alone. Mm-hmm. Talk about yes. that a little bit and that identity that we can take over of being the widower or being almost, I, I don't like to use the term victim, but you know, there, there's that kind of connotation in it a little bit. Yeah. I think there's potentially a few things going on mm-hmm. with that. Right? When we look at the stages of den- of grief, we've got um, denial, bargaining, anger, d- 
depression acceptance mm -hmm. and they're never linear mm -hmm. and the loneliness fits in the depression piece but i think also a little bit of what you're touching on is survivor's guilt mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to feel deserving of being here sometimes for some people Mm -hmm. Like they wish it was them who'd pass. They wish yeah. they could take that death on themselves because they feel so guilty about being here and so unable to sort of move on in life, not move away from the person, but move on when I continue in life. Mm -hmm. And then with the loneliness piece, look very seriously at depression. Mm -hmm. So when I hear that piece about the guilt of being here, I equate that as maybe one of the symptoms of a major depressive disorder that's going on with someone mm -hmm. that they might be really, really having a difficult time. And also I would do exactly what you've talked about. I would explore if there were any other layers underneath that, that were informing that, mm -hmm. that was keeping them attached to in some kind of survivor's guilt or some kind of um, being in a really dark hole, something in addition to that piece. Well, I was thinking about that question, loneliness, and I wrote a couple of things down about it. Yeah. I was thinking about loneliness and that isolation, self-isolation can be one thing, cutting oneself off from peers. And that could be out of that guilt, out of that just it's too difficult to interact because people ask, or people bring things up, or maybe the surviving partner was the introvert and the deceased partner was the extrovert and was the social calendar person. Mm -hmm. So for the introvert, they had the social calendar. There's this thing where we talk about there are rocks and balloons and every rock needs a balloon and every balloon mm -hmm. needs a rock. Mm -hmm. And that's in the coupleship. And so maybe if you're a rock and you lost your balloon, that gets you up off the couch and out into social situations. You don't have the ability to do that for yourself, especially if you weighed down in grief. And that's where, you know, support system is so key and what i see a lot of is you know the line of lasagna and stuffed shells goes away after about six months mm -hmm. but that's when church friends social groups relatives really need to lean back in to see how someone's doing mm -hmm. how is it going at the end of the year because honestly it can get worse at the end of the year, the year two can be worse because the numbness goes away and the feelings um, really come up. So especially for introverted people who are not going to tell you how they're feeling, they're not going to go out and about and, and, and get connected with community, want the support system to come in, come in and get them out. Mm -hmm. That yeah. can be a and way to help. And you're not seeing maybe the posts, you're not seeing the the you know, that person around much, they've actually gone into a shell and they need to be yes. in a way brought out. So just because they're not out there doesn't mean that they don't need that help. In fact, may need it more right. so. Yeah. And I've yes. seen, and a lot of those characteristics, Helen, that I described, I, I see it more with those widowers who've lost their spouse quickly. And yeah. so survivor's guilt is one to look at and to research some more on the characteristics of that and maybe even talk to your counselor or therapist about that. Yes, very um, much so. Definitely manifest itself as a deep depression in, in a lot of widowers that I talk to. Yeah, and I think there's a difference too if there are children in a family that have needs. Um, 
that that tends to be actually as difficult as it is because they've lost a parent, but it is something that will keep a widow word going, you know, mm -hmm. it will keep them going. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have some identity that's being put on us in the new roles. Um, we yeah. have our old identity, which in some ways might be crumbling a little bit and is very fragile right now. For me, it was, some of my job aspects, which I had to dive back into, but I really wanted to change because I couldn't do all of these other roles and maintain that level. And for a lot of men, they now struggle with balancing these two things of being a caregiver for their children or whatever new identity they're taking on their old identity of the work, uh, their give a damn is now turned off and they don't care about it as much in some instances. Yeah. How do you go about recalibrating and really finding a better new identity? Hmm. You, you know, there's a certain amount of survival that happens after a loss like that. Mm -hmm. You're really in survival mode with this changing identity. It's like, oh, fuck. Who am I now? How am I going to do this? This is all on me. How am I ever going to do it? I'm not built this way. I was this. I was part of a power couple leading this business. Now I have to cook these meals and go to these school events. And how can I possibly do it all? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about taking on the pieces that you know you can handle and then recruiting in support to bring in other people who can assume that identity piece for your family if you can. Again, it's resourcing. So if it's if you have the funds and you want to resource in a meal service, you do that. And then you don't have to assume the identity of a chef. If you um, need somebody who is going to report back the PTA piece, is there a school friend's parent that can do that piece? Can they take the pie? <laughs> no, can they do that piece? So it's not feeling like you have to assume all of this new identity and it's settling in and giving your space, yourself space to become who you need to be mm -hmm. versus who you're expected to be or mm -hmm. demanded to be or think you should be. It's defining one's own identity and men inherently take on well we all do the roles become the internalized identity and the the primary roles are hunter gatherer right mm -hmm. hunter slayer of beasts and provider of meat <laughs> <laughs> he who makes the money he who um assumes the role of the protector he who is in charge of the fixing not for everybody, but that's sort of culturally what's assigned. So we tend to take on what's assigned. Um, and so if you're the wage earner, if you're the financial guy who, particularly with you, you were financially quite successful, right, Tom? And then now you have to, that has to lower in importance. There can be a grief element, a grief within a grief mm -hmm. with having to let go of that. Mm -hmm. And then assuming over here, this new piece. So you actually have to grieve the loss of identity along with grieving the loss of your spouse. And I, I remember this, I had to make a choice between making a really good income mm -hmm. 
or being present for my kids mm-hmm. and having a like moderate to shitty income for a period of time until they were older mm-hmm. because I wasn't willing to just hand them off to babysitters all the time. Yep. Right. I had to make that trade. I made a decision to not live financially well for a period of time because I wanted to be there for my kids. Shitty decision to have to make. I wish nobody ever had to make those kind of decisions, but it's all part of it. Um, And so it's choosing the identity, not doing it by default. Yeah. And I do think that so many men do fall into the overachievement in this area and women as well, where the widower says, you know what? Society expects me to be this way. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be this kind of a widower to the, to the community. I'm going to be this kind of a widower to my kids. I'm not going to make them feel like I'm a sole parent. Now I'm going to make them feel like they still have two and I'm going to assume all of those roles and then the work. Well, I'm not going to let the work fail. I've got people that depend on me there. I'm going to take that on. And before you know it, you have the weight of all of these different worlds and expectations on you. And it could be overwhelming. I know that I was completely overwhelmed. I was so exhausted, Helen, from all of the different expectations and masks that I was wearing and the incongruity of all of that really weighed on me. How do you get out of it. I mean, one of the things you said is just say no to some of it, right? You have to thoughtfully say, look, I'm not going to take all of this on. I'm not going to be guilted into it from internal voices, right? I'm not guilted into it from external voices and all of the expectations that are placed on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that what you're saying is help can be a great benefit to that, even to the saying no or to delegating it to other people. But as men, yes. you know, many of us are, some are good delegators. I tend not to be a great delegator, so. Well, there's delegating and there's asking for help. Mm-hmm. They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. And generally men don't ask for help. Women don't ask for help either. We're all wired to like yeah. think we should be able to do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. And truth is we can't. But People are very loving. They want to help. Mm-hmm. They really do. And when there's been a loss like this, of this kind of magnitude, people are just literally waiting to be asked to help. Mm-hmm. They, they offer help. If there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. They mean it. Mm-hmm. Majority of the time, they mean it. Could you pick my kids up from so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Would you pick up a cake so we can take it for the fall festival. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, can you come over and be with the kids while I go do this? Mm-hmm. People want to help, take them up on it. There's that piece of giving and receiving is one of the same. And to deny either is to deny someone pleasure or joy. Mm-hmm. Letting people help you helps them and you. Really important. So Helen, we've gotten through the crisis. We've mm-hmm. marshaled some therapy to quiet the internal voices. We are not listening externally. We're taking on just what we think we need to take on. But now we we kind of need to not just assume the identities of survival, but now assume a new identity, right? A 2-0 mm-hmm. version mm-hmm. of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
what, how do you recommend men go about doing that to finding that new two O that new purpose, that new, you know, I, I can recount a little bit of my story of how I got there, yeah. but it really took a while and wasn't exactly a linear process by any means. I'm hoping, you know, the secret sauce to kind of get there to the two O much quicker. Well, no, there is no secret sauce <laughs> and it's not linear, right? So here's what I know about you, right? Some of this for you was around health and wellness, yeah. right? And putting down the alcohol yeah. and doing something differently in, in your life. Yeah. And there just isn't, and we're making a stew, right? There are pieces of you that are still there, that are your identity, that are you and who you are, Tom, when Judy was alive, Tom, when Judy was ill, and Tom, after Judy passed, and Tom now, right? It's all a smorgasbord. So we don't totally give up everything. We may just bring back in the pieces that best serve us and help us feel good about who we are today. So for you, one of those things is a, as a high achiever, it's um, what we're doing right now. That's part of you helping people. You're someone who likes to help people in this journey. You've mm -hmm. put together your grief group, which is so helpful for so many men. Really recommend anybody who is has lost a spouse reaches out to you about your male grief group. Super important. Really good. It's also assuming the writing role that you had before in your work world. So there's no, no key to it. And it doesn't necessarily happen quickly because aren't we all evolving identities over time anyway? I work with, with people who retire sometimes. Let me tell you, that's, that's not a fractured identity. That's a transition identity. And that will mess people up. It's really, really difficult for people who have been um, you know, at the top of their game, working, feeling valued in that way to then go from what is my role and who am I now? It's sort of the opposite. Of, it's like the roles multiply after loss, whereas in retirement, the role goes away. So there is no magic solution. Nah. It's just about putting one foot in front of the other and trying to be mindful and aware of what's going on. Yeah. When to say no, when to say yes. Yeah. For me, there's three strands that need to be mm -hmm. worked on. It's body, mind, and spirit, and yeah. they're intertwined. And if you get them working together, there's nothing that can break those, mm -hmm. those three yeah. strands wound together. Yeah. For me, it was body first. I needed to heal that. It was depleted. It was worn out. It was yeah. um, adrenal fatigue. It was overweight by 60, 70 pounds. It was uh, uh, alcoholic, if not borderline alcoholic at that time. Um, it was not well. So right. if I didn't get that in order, I was going to be sick and maybe not yeah. be around you know, in two years, and, three years, five years, and then my kids would have had two losses. Exactly. So the first thing for me was, okay, I can start this journey, even though there's all these other things on me, I need to at least prioritize these couple of little changes, these couple of little steps, first and foremost for myself, because as the caretaker, 
you know, there were certainly other people helping. It wasn't me by any means being the only one, but it still took a lot out of me physically and mentally. Yes. But the physical part was first. And then I weaved in the mental of, okay, now that I'm physically taking a few steps, how do I get mentally attuned to a mindset that would help me to achieve? And that's where the consuming of the growth mindset books and the podcasts and everything around growth and listening to people who had gone through similar challenges in all kinds of different areas, uh, physical trauma, mental trauma, childhood trauma, and how they overcame that to achieve amazing things in whatever their field of expertise was and the mindset that it took them to get there, that uh, there's a couple of seals, uh, Chris Goggins being one of them, and, and, and you know, looking at their journey of how they grew up and how they became so physically adept and mentally adept at what it is they do. So I took on almost a seal growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then spirit for me was the last piece. Um, I almost wish it was there earlier that I had my spiritual senses and understood uh, whether it be kind of the ethereal spirituality of the power of now and things like that from Tole or um, you know, the, the power of forgiveness that you get from, you know, Jesus and, and the church. I, there are so many amazing elements in the spirit that really help the mindset, not just be growth oriented, but also be present and be forgiving. And some of the other superpowers that I was able to obtain with that. And so those three are you know, way more advanced today and way stronger than they were. But it took one of those, just working on one and just a couple of steps. For me, literally, it was making my bed the day after Judy passed, something she did that I now had to do. And I've done it every day since, whether I'm in a hotel, whether I'm uh, in a retreat, (laughs) whether I'm home. And it is something that I know that gives me that sense of accomplishment every day, right from the beginning. Yeah, that's huge. I love what you just said about the trifecta right there. And for you, the physical piece was the launch that gave Mm -hmm. you the foundation to go into the others. And for other people, it may be the emotional piece first, or it may be the spiritual connection they have that will launch them into the emotional and then the physical or from the emotional to the spiritual, then the physical. Mm -hmm. But yes, that's balance. That's taking those identity pieces and creating a cohesion that has sort of a foundation of of body, mind, and spirit to support you in moving forward in life Mm -hmm. and dealing with everything. That overwhelm that you have to deal with gets a little less overwhelming when you're in balance in that kind of way. Yeah. Now, that's the positives of identity. We also Mm -hmm. have ego. And Mm -hmm. that can hold us back. Talk about the difference between Mm -hmm. the two. I mean, I'm a lay person. And so I don't, I don't understand quite the difference and how ego might be the thing that holds us back. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple of versions on what ego is. Ego comes from Freud. It's psychoanalytic. We've got the id, the ego, and the super ego. Okay. Freud's belief. I'm going to a little background on this piece for you because it gets mixed around in pop culture. Freud believed that everybody was born with the id. The id is the natural drives, the desire, the impulse. It's kind of the like, gimme, 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 I want it now kind of piece that we're born with, right? And around 
age three is when the ego starts to develop. And the ego actually, according to psychoanalytic, is the voice of reason. Hmm. The super ego develops around age five. That's the internalized information from parents, role models, culture, society. And it's the uh, perfectionist. Oh, no, you can't do that. That's terrible. So on the one hand, the it is like, oh, give me that whole entire piece of cake. And then on the other hand, you've got the super ego, which is, uh, that's terrible. You can't have that whole piece of cake. And then in the middle, the ego is supposed to mediate between the two. Hmm. So that's actually the ego states, according to Freud. But what we have in pop culture is it's changed a little bit. So the interpretation has gone into, if someone has a big ego, uh, an overinflated ego, it means they're overconfident. Um, They think too much of themselves, they're kind of up there high and mighty. Or if someone has um, a low ego, then lack of ego, they might have shame, they might be embarrassed, they feel badly about themselves, they might have low Mm self-esteem. So a healthy ego state is the one that I've talked about coming from Freud. Mm-hmm. And then in pop culture, what we see is that overinflated ego, which is probably when someone is indulging the id a little more. Gotcha. So we see the maladaptive behaviors, going out and getting drunk, hooking up. Not that that's necessarily maladaptive, hooking up piece for everybody. The getting drunk piece is not helpful. Mm-hmm. You, you know, um, an adaptive thing would be to have a couple of drinks at the bar to have some social time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you see someone who seems to be coming from a state of big ego, like they've got it all going on, it can also mean that maybe they're covering up a little bit of how poorly they feel underneath mm-hmm. bravado. And it's looking like bravado. I'm not sure if I'm sort of answering your question in the way that that you had the question. Um, no, it's good. But- I just to get a big, bigger understanding of this, and I think that understanding the three elements—the id, the ego, and the superego—the of Freudian um, psychology—I think is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you don't want to, you want to make sure that the ego is in charge. Um, yes. that the id isn't running rampant and right. that you're not doing these overindulgent, the bad behavior, the things that, you know, you could react, you're angry. Um, right. You yes. think that maybe now it's your time, you know, you were giving for everyone else and all of a sudden you you become that indulgent, you know, maybe bad parent or bad friend or just bad person in general, not caring about who you're hurting and what you're saying and everything else. Um, on the other hand, you could go into super ego mode, which is now in a way, some of this is, I think what was impacting me, my super ego was coming out and, and that perfectionist was taking yes. over. And all of a sudden I was striving to be perfect. And meanwhile, being maybe dramatically imperfect as a result of trying to be everything to everybody which is the other state. So I think understanding those three is really important and the balance between them as you try to get uh, a handle on the new identity that you're evolving into. Yeah, I think we could equate maybe the inflated ego state with an id-ish kind of behavior and then the low ego state with the super ego shaming Mm -hmm. internalized behavior. I do want to 
tweak the bad behavior a little bit into adaptive and maladaptive. Okay. A lot of times when people are doing maladaptive behaviors, they're just trying to get a need met, mm -hmm. a need for company, a need for respite, a need for uh, to be out of the feelings. Yeah. So, you know, we want to look at them as maladaptive, not helpful behaviors. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to have judgment words like quote unquote, no. bad behavior. Yeah. Completely agree. Because what is bad to someone and good to someone else? I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Helen, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave with our widowers, our growth warriors with today about identity? Yeah. I think it would be take your time and don't overthink it. You will evolve into a new person. We all do as we go throughout life. So be kind, give yourself grace and resource. Pull in resources. When people ask you what they can do to help, make a list. And take them up on it. Yeah. I agree. And then the only thing I would add to it is don't be afraid to take one or two steps out there and towards. Um, there's a lot of survival that you're going to go through. But at the same yeah. time, that doesn't mean you can't exercise some self-care. If you're yes. a mask, if you don't put your oxygen mask on first, you're not going to be useful to anyone else, your children or anyone around you. And so you do need to not just take on all these other identities and all these roles and just forget about yourself completely. There is space there to put on your oxygen mask first. Yeah, I love that. Helen, thank you so much. Another great session. Thank you all for listening to our Growth for Grief podcast. If you like this episode, hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.